Another beautiful day in Yakima. Uh, great to be preaching on the front steps of the chapel. Uh, I have to admit, when we were discussing when to go in, I just really enjoy being out here. <laughs> and I knew I was preaching this week, so I said, why don't we just wait till one more week so I could be out here preaching one more time. So here we are. Uh, great to be sharing the Word of God with you and the whole neighborhood once again uh, today. We are continuing our study of the Bible in Hebrews. Uh, we are in chapter 12. We've gone 11 chapters through Hebrews, and uh, now that brings us to chapter 12. This is a big turning point in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've talked uh, in the first 10 chapters. Really, we focused on Jesus Christ, how great he is, what he's done, uh, the details of this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and uh, that we can know that. We were also warned to believe in this, and if we don't believe, uh, then that's a very serious thing. Uh, we've been called to belief in Him, and uh, hopefully it's caused you to worship Him and realize how great Jesus Christ is. That was 10 chapters of that. And then uh, chapter 11, it took a few weeks to get through. We've looked at many examples of faith, people who had great faith in God. How do we know they had faith? It's by what they did in their lives. They did great things, uh, not perfect people, but people that had faith in God. Uh, they believed in a God, maybe a God they didn't see, maybe a God they didn't even know that well, but they believed and their lives showed it. In fact, many of them staked their very lives on that thing, their faith in God, and they were not disappointed. God proved to be faithful in every circumstance. You know, uh, as we were going through Hebrews 11, I've been through it many times before. Probably many of you have studied it and read it before and thought about it. I know this time what really stood out to me was their faith. Their faith was in God, but it specifically, there was a certain faith they was talking about. In at least most of their situations, it was a faith in the future, that God had a future for them. And there was nothing that could happen on this earth that could take that away. Okay? They had a faith in God that was so sure they knew that they would be with God someday. They were looking forward to a city with foundations who architect, whose architect and builder was God himself. That's much better than anything on this earth. They were looking forward to heaven, and they wanted to be there. And that was a bigger deal to them than what was happening here on this earth. Therefore, they could go through anything on this earth, and that didn't shake their faith. They knew they had a promised home in heaven someday, and that's what they were looking forward to. And I think that's what we're called to as well. And I think we're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 12. So here we are. I'm going to read the first two verses in Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to pray. Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you we could be here again. Thank you for another beautiful day. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our great high priest. He is our savior, that he has made purification of sins and has sat down at your right hand. 
Uh, help us to think about him again this morning. Lord, thank you for these many chapters about how great he is. And I pray you would help us to have a right response to all of these things too, Lord, that our lives would actually show that we truly believe in these things. And we thank you, Lord, for a promised home in heaven where Jesus is sitting down because his work is done and that we'll be there again someday. Thank you for those promises. And uh, I pray these words would be powerful and effective this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. This great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, uh, we just went through Hebrews 11, which uh, was about, like I just said, many people, many heroes of faith, people that did great things based on their faith in God, looking forward to the, the home in heaven that they had someday with him. That's the, the witnesses that are surrounding us. Um, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Many of these were right from the Old Testament. Uh, there was a long list, and near the end, the list got bigger and bigger really fast, uh, didn't it? There's many of them, and probably many more could be named that aren't in that list. Many people who have had faith before us, and there are examples of faith. Okay, and once again, how do we know they had faith? It was their lives. Their lives showed it. Their lives show that they had faith. Many of them made big decisions in their lives based on that faith. Some of them wild things happened. Some of them, uh, the decision was made for them and they were persecuted and went even all the way to death because of their faith. You know, when you read Hebrews 11, it should be a bit inspiring. Do you get a little bit inspired, a little bit excited about a life of faith? I think we should. That should be a good response when we read about these things. And also the fact that they, even though they didn't see their faith fulfilled in this life on earth, God did not disappoint them. Can you imagine the homecoming when they got to see God? <clears throat> when they got to move to the city, the real city that they were looking forward to, not on this earth, but in heaven. That's what they were living for. And I can't help but think of how exciting it would be when they got to meet him. And you know... <laughs> In the midst of all that, at the end of Hebrews 11, we have this amazing verse. It said, all these th And all these, having gained approval through their faith, they did not see, receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from that, us, they would not be made perfect. God has a plan for them, a big celebration in heaven, and it also sounds like it includes us as well. Are you looking forward to that someday? being in heaven someday with all the others who believed and had faith in God? I hope you are. I hope that's a big part of your life and you're thinking about that daily. It might just have a big effect on our lives each day to think about that. That's what these Old Testament saints were thinking about, being with the Lord, the city with foundations. Hopefully we're thinking about the same thing. So that's the cloud of witnesses surrounding us, uh, these people that have already had faith before us, uh, surrounding us, does that mean they're around us right now? I don't think so, so much, uh, but think about it. Um, their lives of faith, are their lives having an effect on us right now? Do you find it interesting? We're in the year 2020. How many years ago did these people have faith and do these things by faith? 
We're talking thousands of years ago, and we're still talking about them. In fact, are they not spurring us on right now to lives of faith as we go through Hebrews chapter 11? They are. It's like their lives are still speaking even now. On the other side of the world, thousands of years later, their lives of faith are having an effect on us now. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Did you know that you're part of a race? If you're a Christian, you are in a race. How's your race going? Are you running? Did you even know you're in a race? <laughs> that's a bad question to ask, actually, if you think about it. Uh, if someone's in a race and doesn't know it, that's a pretty bad sign. Uh, you're in a race, folks. You are running, whether you like it or not. It's not a choice. Uh, you're in a race. You can decide how well you're going to run the race. You can decide what you're going to do in the race. But you are in a race if you're a Christian. So it was their turn, the Old Testament saints. It was their turn uh, to run the race. Many of them did well, we just read about. Now whose turn is it? It's yours. You're the ones now. They had their chance, they ran. Now it's up to you. The baton has been passed. You are the people alive right now that have faith in God. How are you gonna run this race? That's really the question here. And we're told we should run with endurance. The race is like a long distance race, perhaps a marathon is the picture here. And we're supposed to run with endurance. Pushing and endurance uh, means uh, the people running the race, they've been training for it. They're ready for it. They're pushing hard. Uh, and when, they're, when their muscles are tired and their body's screaming out that they want to stop, they say, no, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep going. One foot in front of another and they keep going to the finish line. That's how we're supposed to be running the race. Races are not easy. They're hard. And, uh, and each mile that goes by probably gets harder. And uh, the muscles hurt more and more. But you have to keep straining forward with endurance. And we're told to do that. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. If we're going to do that, we need to do like they did and lay aside <coughs> every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. If you're picturing a runner running a long-distance race, uh, you don't probably picture a big backpack on their back, do you? with some, you know, some magazines to read if they get bored, or some tea for tea time. Uh, they don't put weights on their ankles. They don't put a parka on. You know, uh, they're not carrying the remote control to the TV. Uh, a runner is going to throw off everything they don't need. They need to be as light as possible. They need to be able to run and stay fixed on that running and get to that finish line. We're supposed to do the same thing. There are things that can drag us down in our race. We are supposed to get rid of those things. Lay aside, throw it away, the things that encumber you, the things that would slow you down in your race. Get rid of those things and the sin which so easily entangles us. If you're playing around with sin, if you're caught up in sin and tangled up in it, you're not going to be able to run the race well. We need to throw those things off. We need to get rid of the sin in our life so that we can run unhindered by those things, not tangled up, not uh, being pulled down by things. <coughs> we need to get rid of the sin 
and all the other things that can encumber us. It, it's interesting that it does uh, treat it as two different things here. I think it's really kind of one big overall thing that slows us down. But there's sin, and sin is obviously wrong. Sin is breaking God's law. And, uh, and that's wrong, and that's never going to help you in your Christian race. Uh, you need to get right with God, ask God for forgiveness, admit you're a sinner, and you can get right with God. Because of the great work that Jesus did, you can have your sins forgiven. And you might say, sin is tough to deal with. I've been struggling with it my whole life. Well, you probably will struggle the rest of your life too. But there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Okay? And we can come to Christ and he can help us. Ask forgiveness. Ask him to help you. Uh, stop living a life of sin. Ask him to help you move on and to be and to really run this race. There's sin. Those are the things which are just clearly wrong. But it also says other encumbrances. Could there be things that aren't sin, but they could slow us down? Maybe they just simply take up all our time and our resources, uh, our emotions. Uh, there are things that might slow us down that, uh, that aren't necessarily seem really bad, but they're not going to help you run the race at all. He's saying throw those things off too. Folks, let's get in the race. Get in the race. Forget those other things that are not going to help you out. They're not worth it. Think of the goal. Think of the finish line. Think of heaven where Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Think about that and throw away everything else that doesn't help you reach towards that. That's the idea here. We're running a race. We need to get in the race. And when we realize that, we need to do the things that will help us out and get rid of the things that will hinder us. I did listen to a mes message from uh, John Piper on this. The way he summed those two things up here is, uh, don't be stupid and don't cheat. It would be stupid for a runner to put on a bunch of stuff and try to run. That's stupid, he said. Uh, he said it, not me. I, uh, using the word stupid seems kind of bad. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought it was really a, something I remembered. Maybe you'll remember it too. Don't be stupid and don't cheat. Cheating is sin. Uh, you're going against the rules, against God's law. Okay, let's run this race with endurance. How do you run with endurance? Well, we need to uh, train. We need to uh, do the things that will help us run the race. You know, it, seem, it sounds good to say, let's get rid of sin. Let's get rid of the things that encumber us. I imagine most of you are thinking, yeah, that's right. We should do that. Maybe I should really commit to doing that. Well, folks, I'll tell you this. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're not going to get very far. Okay, we need God's help with this, don't we? In fact, that's what a Christian is. It's someone who has realized they can't get rid of their sin and they've asked God for forgiveness. We need to ask him for forgiveness. We need to ask him for the power to get rid of this sin in our lives. As often happens in the Bible, and it's a big principle in daily life, if you're trying to get rid of something, like the sin and the stuff that slows us down, uh, a great way to do that is to put something else in its place. If you're trying to get sin out of your life, well, why don't you fill up your life with good things? Okay, and that's exactly what it says here to do. How do we get rid of this sin? Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand, of the throne of God. How do we run this race well? 
How do we live the Christian life well? I think that's a key verse right there, folks. And I know I've found in my life for it to be true over and over again. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. Think about who he is and what he's done. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of faith. Author and perfecter. He's like the hero of faith, the one who wrote the book on faith, the author. And he's the perfect example, the perfecter of faith. How did he have faith? Well, remember Hebrews 11. We talked about people that had faith, and we talked about what they did to show their faith. Jesus had faith also. That's what it's saying. He's the author and perfecter of faith. How did he show his faith? Just like Hebrews 11? Well, we're going to see what Jesus did by faith. It says here, For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he knew there was a joy coming that was going to be great. The joy, uh, and I don't know exactly the details of exactly what that means, but uh, it probably has something to do with uh, fulfilling the will of the Father. There would be joy in that. Uh, going back to heaven with the angels praising him and everything, there's probably joy in that too. But you know, kind of based on the end of chapter 11 and other things I read in the New Testament, I think part of the joy is that when he goes back to heaven, he's not going to be alone, is he? There's going to be other saints, Old Testament people who believed and had faith, and New Testament people that believed in him and had faith. And a heaven is going to be full of people uh, that had faith in him, people that he saved by going to the cross. I think that has something to do with the joy that was set before him. But somehow in the future, there was joy set before him. So now in the present, it was going to be hard. Life was going to be hard for Jesus. When he came to earth, it wasn't easy. Probably for more reasons than we know. But ultimately, uh, some people hated him, made fun of him, mocked him. There was shame and disgrace there. There was uh, people spitting on him, accusing him of things, ultimately physically beating him up. Uh, doing everything they could to physically shame him and eventually nailing him to a cross where he would die a horrible, agonizing death. How could he get through that? How could he go through such a horrible thing? And you know what? He was carrying the weight of the sins of the entire world with him too. And I think that was probably very difficult as well. It was hard. It wasn't easy. Even though he was God in the flesh, it was still hard. He cried beforehand remember he was crying sweat drops of blood it was difficult life was rough for him but how could he get through that he knew that there was a future the joy set before him that's how he could get through it he knew that god the father would not abandon him to the grave that he would raise him up again and that, that he would eventually be back in heaven sitting at his right hand <coughs> for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he accomplished his work. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Hebrews 11, many people went through hard times. They did many wild things. They knew they had a future with God, and that's what got them through. That's what they had faith in. Jesus, the same thing. He had a hard thing to do. 
He knew he had a future where there would be joy with God the Father in heaven and all those who believe because of what he was going through. So we have the Old Testament, we have Jesus, and now who's it up to? It's up to you. It's up to you. Hopefully you're looking forward to the joy set before you in heaven someday. I hope you think about that a lot. Uh, you have a promised home in heaven and nothing can take that away. Therefore, we go through the hard times here on earth, knowing this is not our home, but we have a home in heaven. Verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So the writer of Hebrews, again, where he, he's talking very specifically to the Hebrew people, Jewish people who had turned to Jesus Christ, at least most of them. Some of them were still on the fence. Some of them uh, in their belief were all kind of mixed up. Maybe we, we're not sure, but the book of Hebrews would definitely help them. But he's saying, consider Jesus. He endured a lot of hostility by sinners against himself. He went through a lot of stuff. It was a really hard time. The Hebrews were having a hard time. When they turned to Christ, there was a lot of pressure on them not to do that. Uh, they immediately wouldn't be able to meet with other Jews to do uh, their, their temple stuff. Uh, the, some of them even had to go through persecution. Earlier on in Hebrews, we read some even went to jail. Some had other things happen to them. Uh, some people lost their property. They lost their house and their land. Okay, it was hard. This was difficult. Coming to Jesus did not make everything easy. It actually made their lives quite a bit harder. And they might be thinking about, wow, this life is rough. Being a Christian is not easy. This is tough. Do I make the right decision? Uh, does God know what I'm going through? Is this a mistake, God? Did you, are you letting these people do this and it's not part of your plan? They might be wondering these things. It might be tough. For them to deal with the writer is saying hold on remember Jesus remember what he went through he went through some very difficult things similar to what you're going through maybe even worse in fact he went all the way to death there were people that hated him sinners and they nailed him on a cross and he's saying to the Hebrews many of you you're going through lots of things you haven't yet even resisted to the point of death. Notice there's a yet there. Probably some of them would eventually. This is very serious stuff to them. <clears throat> but think about Jesus. He suffered all these things. He went all the way to death. But he did it for you. He did it because he loved you. Did he make a mistake? Was it a mistake of God the Father to allow him to do that? No. It wasn't. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The author of Hebrews is now going to go into a section, a very important section in the Bible on the discipline of God. The discipline of God. 
We're going to see the word discipline many times here. The word discipline here is not talking about punishment for sin. Sometimes we use the word discipline for that. This is not punishment for sin. Although discipline could partly be involved with punishment for sin, the discipline we're talking about here is are the things that God brings about in their life to help them grow, and we're going to see, grow more holy, more righteous, and have peace in their lives. It's God training them. It's like a father training up his child uh, to be a good person that loves the Lord, okay, that would have peace and holiness in their life. He's saying, uh, you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And we're going to see this pointed out over and over again. You Hebrews, you now, through Jesus Christ, you have a close relationship with God the Father. A close relationship. They might be thinking they're further away than ever because of all this persecution, everything's going bad. And he's going to say, no, you're reading all this wrong. Actually, what's going on is because God loves you. You're his children. You're his chosen children. And he's going to lay a foundation and kind of prove this to him here. This is a quote from Proverbs, as, as in many, many parts of Hebrews. Uh, there's many quotations directly from the Old Testament that would help a Jewish person, uh, you know, who's questioning these things. <clears throat> and the quote is, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. The things that they're going through. First of all, he said it's kind of like Jesus and what he went through. You're going through it now. And what he's saying is actually, this is the discipline of the Lord that you're going through. God is doing a good work in your life by having you go through these hard times. <clears throat> so don't regard it lightly. He's saying this is a good thing. Don't just try to ignore it and forget about it and hope that things get better. <clears throat> you're being reproved by him. Verse 5. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. That's quite a verse, folks. That's actually a tough one to accept. If you think that's an easy thing, uh, then you're not really understanding what it's saying, I think. This is kind of tough. Those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines. He disciplines. And he scourges. Scourges. That's a strong word. A strong word. Used uh, when it's talking about Jesus too. Him being scourged. He scourges every son whom he receives. Wow. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. If you're undergoing the discipline of the Lord, that's a good thing. Why? Well, we're, we're given a couple reasons here. It shows that he loves you. He loves you. And he scourges every son. If you're truly undergoing strong discipline from the Lord, and again, I'm not talking about punishment for sin. Don't think of that discipline. I'm, I'm talking about the things that could be hard that we go through that God puts in our lives that draw him closer, us closer to him. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. That make us more holy, that train us up in how to live, that help us run the race. Uh, he scourges every son whom he receives. So when you're being disciplined by the Lord, that could be a good thing. It shows that he loves you. 
and it shows that you're one of his children. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So once again, it's pointing out, God deals with you as children, his own children. And that's a good thing. Okay, that's a close relationship. When God himself punishes you directly, that's actually what it's saying here directly, which is interesting, uh, punishes you directly, <clears throat> that means you have a close relationship with your father. When I was reading this, I just thought of the situation. Uh, you ever been in a store? There's a kid there, not your own kid, and he's yelling and screaming and throwing a fit because he wants something. And you know the right thing to do in that situation, the right discipline, but you can't do it, can you? Because you're not the parent, okay? You don't have that close relationship with the kid. So maybe you pray for the parent that they might uh, do the good thing, and hopefully they do. But you know what? God, he knows what's best for us, and he does it because he is our parent, if you're a Christian, he is your heavenly father, and he cares deeply for you. Cares so much that he's willing to do the hard thing. He's willing to discipline you <clears throat> for good reasons, which we'll get to here in a minute. Verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Pointing out once again that uh, by God disciplining us, it shows that we're his children and that he cares about us. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? A good father, a good parent is going to discipline their children because they love them. They want them to be Good people, they want them to love the Lord, to do what's right. They want them to be safe, to keep them from danger. Discipline accomplishes those things and much more. Discipline isn't always easy. It can be very difficult sometimes. Sometimes it involves letting them go through hard things. In this case, God is saying he even puts the hard things in our lives sometimes. That might be hard to swallow, but that's really what it's saying here very clearly. But it shows that we are children and that he cares very much for us. He loves you. He cares for you. And it shows that you're a child. When we discipline our kids, we don't always know the right thing to do. Sometimes I don't know exactly what the best thing to do is, so I do what seems best. That's not the truth with God, is it? He always knows what's best. You can't think, God, you're messing up. You don't really understand what would be best for me. Let me tell you what would be best for me, Lord. <laughs> you can't say that, can you? Sometimes you want to say that, don't you? <laughs> Probably. This hard thing I'm going through, Lord, it's terrible. It's terrible. What are you doing? I think you're messing up. I could come up with a better way. Nope. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what's best for us. And sometimes that's letting us go through the hard stuff, the hard times in life. Even further, sometimes it's himself putting the hard thing in your life so that you can turn into the person he wants you to be. <clears throat> 
how much more we should be subject to the Father of Spirits and live. Verse 10. For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. So we see here, what, what's the outcome of this discipline? What is so good about this that I need to spend all this hard time or years or, or whatever going through this extremely difficult stuff? What's the outcome here? What is God doing? Well, we're going to see four things. First of all, it's for our own good. And remember, God knows better than you do. Uh, he knows what's for your good. It's for your own good. You need to believe that. Also, that we may share his holiness. Going through hard times, difficult things that come along in life, that can actually help us be more holy, which really is being more like him. Really being more like a true child of God should be holy. It's for our good and so that we may share his holiness. Sharing his holiness. Does Jesus, remember, does Jesus know anything about hard times? About going through the hard stuff? He does. He came through it without sin, without ever sinning. So it's for our good, it's for our holiness. Verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It's great that this is thrown in. Okay? This is reality. I'm going to read that phrase again, and if you want to say amen to it, you can. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Okay. Those of you going through hard times probably just said amen there, maybe. Uh... This isn't saying that when you go through the hard times, you have to put a smile on your face and pretend that everything's all right. There are hard times. It's saying there's going to be times of sorrow in your life. And that's okay. It's not saying that it's bad. He's even saying, you know, the joy might not be there sometimes in your life. Maybe right now in your life, the joy isn't there. But remember, what's coming up in the future? Do you believe there's a time where there will be joy? Or will God just abandon you and you're done and on your own and that's it? That's the key we need to think about here. God knows what's best for us. He knows what you're going through. In fact, this passage is going much further than that and saying he's the one putting you through it. And it might be really hard. But remember Jesus. Stay focused on him. Remember what he went through. And God the Father did not abandon him. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God. And you will be there someday too. It might be a long time from now. It might feel like millions of years what you're going through right now. But there is joy coming. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Discipline is a hard thing, and it's saying that that's a reality. You don't have to pretend to be happy all the time at church, okay? Uh, sometimes life is hard. It's difficult. But there is joy in Jesus Christ coming. 
It doesn't seem joyful, but sorrowful. I remember Jesus himself. He cried before he went to the cross. It was hard. It was difficult. He was trying to think, is there any other way? And there wasn't, and he went through it. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. For those who have been trained by it, it sounds like here when God puts hard times in your life, when he's disciplining you for your own good, it sounds like you have a choice to make. You can allow yourself to be trained by it or not, whatever that looks like. You can allow yourself, even though it's hard and you think this is horrible, God, how in the world could this be good? To be trained by it, still you're saying, God, I'm st I still believe. I still say you're in charge. Please show me what you're doing. Help me to learn the lesson you're trying to teach me quickly. <laughs> That's how you allow yourself to be trained by it. And it might be a daily struggle to do that. Maybe you refuse that. God, this can't be God's plan. This is all wrong. God, you're wrong. This is all bad. I, I think that's the other option. Uh, that's not being trained by it. You could have a bad attitude. My life is horrible. Everything is bad. Uh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not running the race anymore. I'm just going to live like the world. I'm going to do anything else because that feels good right now. You're forgetting the joy set before you, aren't you? <clears throat> You're taking your eyes off Jesus Christ, if that's your attitude. The Hebrews were going through a hard time. Persecution, uh, hard times, and you know that probably would lead to other hard times. Arguments within families and this and that, probably all sorts of stuff. Uh, lots of hard times they were going through, and maybe some of them were about to give up. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Yes, it is hard, but God's doing it for your own good. What are the things that can come out of discipline here that it says? Well, it's for our own good. It's for our holiness. And then we just read it's for our righteousness. God could be causing you to be a more righteous person by going through what you're going through. And that other word, peace, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? He's saying this horrible stuff going on in your life, the stuff where it looks like your whole life is in chaos and there's no peace anywhere. He's saying all this crazy chaos can bring peace to your life. Can you believe that? You know, this is not human thinking, folks. Only God can do that. Only God can take a horrible situation where it looks like your whole world's falling apart and actually use it to cause righteousness and holiness in your life and bring peace to you. How in the world can someone have peace through the hard times that it's talking about here? The discipline that God brings in our lives. Well, go back to verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember him. 
remember Jesus Christ. Every day, put Jesus Christ before you. Remember what he went through, what he did. And he did it because he loves you. Remember where he is now in heaven and that you'll be there someday because of the great work that he did. Think of that every day, all day long. And you know it might just have a change in your life. And you might find yourself running the race with endurance, throwing off the things that tie us down and running towards the finish line, Jesus Christ in heaven. The Hebrews were weak. They probably felt like giving up. They were wondering what was going on. But they need to remember Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. They need to remember uh, what was read about in, in the Old Testament. Remember, God loves you. He's doing you as with sons. <clears throat> remember, this could come out for your righteousness, holiness, for your good, and for peace in your life. Therefore, verse 12, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. When you're going through the hard time, your hands are weak, your knees are shaken. A marathon runner, they, they get to the point. You know, I back in high school, I actually ran cross country. I haven't run a long time since then. But I did run. I wasn't good or anything, but I learned a lot. And I remember there was a point in your running where you get to where you just can't go any further. You can't do it. Your body is screaming, stop. Your knees are shaking. You're hurting. There is nothing else in this life going on except the fact that you can't go any further. But you know what you do? You just put one more foot in front of the other. And then you put another foot in front of the other. And I remember the coaches, I hated them at the time, pushing me, pushing me. I'm like, shut up. I can't go any further. And I did. And uh, they teach me a valuable lesson. Sometimes you can go a lot further than you think you can. And it's really a mental, a mental thing. A big part of running is mental. It's physical too, for sure. But it's mental as well. Keep your eye fixed on the finish line. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember those words daily. Put him before you all the time. You know when you're thinking about what he went through and why he went through it, why did he go to the cross? Well, part of it was because of you, because you're a sinner. You have messed up. And you know, the Bible says he died on the cross while you were still a sinner before you even repented. He loved you and he did it for you while you didn't even love him. Wow, that's a lot of love. You know, when you're thinking about that all day long, it kind of makes it hard to complain about things. When someone else does something kind of mean to you, well, you think about what they did to him, it doesn't become such a big deal anymore, does it? You start, uh, you stop maybe complaining so much when you're thinking about what he went through and he didn't complain. It was hard, but he went through it. It really might just change your life. 
Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The, the Hebrew church was weak. They needed to be strengthened. <clears throat> so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint. I think it's saying so they don't give up. They don't say that's it. I'm done. The limb is put out of joint. I can't go any further. But no, let's keep going so the limb can actually be healed. Let's keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, actually, uh, right now, everybody, I would like everybody here to stand up. Please stand up. And maybe it's difficult for you to stand up. That's okay. The, the Christian life is difficult. It's hard to run this race. Really difficult. There might be times when you're asked to do something you, you cannot do in your own strength. But God says, it's okay. Look to him. He can provide the strength for you. First 10 chapters of Hebrews, we learn how great Jesus is, what he's done for us. I hope you learned something there. Our great salvation. Chapter 11, we learned about the Old Testament saints who lived lives of faith. And that was great, and we're still talking about them today, and they're still spurring us on today. After them came Jesus. He lived a life of faith. He did the hard stuff for the joy set before him. The Old Testament saints, they showed God's faithfulness. Jesus is there now, accomplished purification of sins. And now, it's time for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, I see a point where it says there has to be a response to what we've learned. We can't just sit here and learn and say that's good and go on with our lives. There's got to be a response. That's what this is all about. It's got to be a response. And life is going to be hard and maybe it's not easy. It's not easy to run the race. That's the nature of a long race. It's difficult. And you know what? It's going to get harder probably too. But we're supposed to look to Jesus Christ and run the race that is set before us. I'd like you all to think about that right now. There is a race set before you. What has God set before you that he wants you to do by faith? Maybe it's difficult. You know, according to what we just read, I hope it's difficult because that will cause holiness and righteousness and peace in your life. <laughs> I can't explain that, earthly speaking. But the difficult things show God loves you and that he wants what's best for you. <clears throat> when I read the words, uh, strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. If you're going through hard times right now, look to Jesus Christ like you never have before. Look to him to strengthen you to run the race. And also as a church, that's why I had you all stand up as a church. I think we th should think about this too corporately. Are we going to run the race together? Maybe we should look around and see where are the hands that are weak and help them out. Where's the knees that are ready to give out? And let's help point them to Jesus Christ. That's what it says to do. 
you stay pointed on Jesus Christ and drag some other people along with you. Help them stay focused on Jesus Christ. Let's all do that together and we will be running the race. That would be the appropriate response to the things that we've learned in Hebrews so far. Let's run this race with endurance. I would like you uh, right now, I'm going to give you one minute, quietly one minute. I would like to think about uh, you to think about at least one thing in your life you would like to do in response to this. Maybe you know your running isn't so great right now. Can you think of one thing that would help that out? Maybe it's an encumbrance or sin you need to deal with. Maybe it's something you need to do daily. I don't know what it is. You're probably thinking of 10 or 20 things, but don't get overwhelmed. Maybe just focus on one thing right now. And could you just quietly pray about that right now before we leave? I'm going to give you one minute. Close your eyes. Please pray to God about your race. Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he's done for us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We thank you. He went all the way to the cross and accomplished our salvation and that he's sitting at your right hand right now, Lord. Help us to think about him, to think about heaven, to live our lives based on that. Help us to run this race with endurance, Lord. Uh, individually help each person, Lord, uh, whatever that means in their life, to do that, Lord, to respond to the things that we've learned and help us as a church, Lord, to run this race well, to keep Jesus Christ as a focus in all that we do and say here, Lord, and uh, help us to help others that are weak, fallen away, Lord, help us to, to drag them along too. And may we all work together to run this race. And thank you, Lord, that we have a promised home in heaven that no one can take away. We thank you and pray in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.